I'm going to read the text this morning while you're still standing. I'm going to let you sit down for a little while. Luke chapter 1, verses 36 and 37 is where I'm going to be. I'll go back to the beginning of Luke chapter 1 shortly, but uh, we're going to start there as our main point of text. So if you would go there now. Luke chapter 1, verses 36 and 37. This is Gabriel speaking to Mary. And the angel says, And now your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, and she has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Would you just say that, those last words with me, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. One more time as a declaration of faith, for nothing will be impossible with God. Heavenly Father, may you bless your word. May you bless this moment. May you bless the time we have together. And Father, may you anoint my voice. Father, I have nothing to give that you have not first given to me, and I ask humbly that you would pour into this moment as only you can. I love you. I'm grateful for this opportunity. I'm thankful for who you are. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, friends. Thank you, friends. Even the storms yesterday and and the things that we go through, I'm reminded how easy it is in the middle of so many hallmark happy endings to uh, assume that the normal day-to-day difficulties of life are suspended in the month of December, but that's just not true, is it? Just because it's Christmas time, because we put some trees up, because we put some gifts under those trees, that does not mean that the difficulties of your life are just suspended. December doesn't make us immune to life's problems, and Christmas lights are not a force field, no matter how many of them you put up around your house. I'd read this story, uh, it's actually a, a news report from 2015, and uh, it's fascinating, it's actually horrifying if once, once I get to the end you'll understand, but there was a store in Great Britain called Tesco, and it's sort of a grocery store, and they had put a, an ad for a job in the local uh, paper there, and, and they were asking for an employee for seasonal work for a 36-hour-a-week job. Now, the job description went as follows. This new position will offer you the chance to show that uh, every little bit helps by running a unique in-store service with a friendly, flexible approach and making a genuine difference to the little things that matter to our customers this Christmas. Your primary task, the thing that you're being hired for, is to man a Christmas light detangling stand. So this job for 36 hours a week, was going to hire somebody to sit at a counter in front of the store, and so when people walked in to go grocery shopping in the Christmas season, they were going to drop off tangled and knotted Christmas lights, do their shopping, and when they came back around, they would pick up those strands neatly uh, circled up without any of the tangles. They said that the qualifications were you had to be able to detangle 10 feet of Christmas lights in three minutes, and also you had to be able to check all the bulbs in another two minutes, so it was roughly five minutes per 10-foot strand of Christmas light that you had to deal with and have ready for the customers. Also, it was a plus if you could show some Christmas cheer along the way. Can I tell you something? I don't care what your theology is, there's nothing closer to purgatory than the idea that for 36 hours a week, I would have to detangle strands of Christmas lights. 
was horrified by this. I can't imagine they would ever fill that job. And it just reminded me this, as I was reading back through that story, life doesn't detangle at Christmas. The problems that we tried to put in the attic the year before, when we pulled them back out, they're all knotted up, because apparently that's where the elves on the shelf go. They go up into our attic, and they tie lassos out of our Christmas lights so that we have to fight them every December. Some of you fight them in October. That's your own fault. And so it's curious to me that when Luke wants to tell the story about Jesus, when he wants to tell the story about a king, he actually starts by telling a story about everybody else. See, Luke doesn't avoid the difficult parts of life in order to tell a story of redemption and restoration and hope. In fact, Luke dives right into a story of two people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and really, even though this is a story about Jesus, the name of Jesus isn't even mentioned for the first 30 verses or so. See, the scriptures are approaching us, they're meeting us where we actually live. God is not trying to get us to think of life in a rosy, romanticized way, and this is not a Hallmark movie. There are real tensions and real struggles and real difficulties. Tinsel does not wipe away all of your fears and heartaches, and some of you have lost loved ones in this season, and you don't stop remembering those things year after year. You don't stop mourning and grieving the loss of those things, and the scriptures are coming to us, I believe, in Luke chapter one to say, you don't have to. God's not asking you to ignore the reality of the difficulties of your life, what he's asking you to do is to look past it for a moment and see his provision. The story about a king is a story about everyone else. If we look at Luke chapter one, verses five through seven, it says that in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. He belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, or Aaron, depending on how you pronounce it. <laughs> and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both of them were getting on in years. Fascinating story that Luke uses to open his good news account. It's not a story of youth and hopeful possibility. It's actually the story of two elderly people a priest who struggles to believe the word of God he spent his entire life serving, and his wife, a woman who has spent years offering up prayers that seem to have gone unanswered. This is the doorway that Luke uses to bring us into the story of Jesus and the gospel of God's hope. Can I just tell you, your story is not too bleak, and this chapter is not so dark that the hope and joy of Christmas cannot invade it with the reality of what Jesus is bringing. I know that on any given Sunday, there is a certain percentage of people who walk into this room, who watch us online, who are just about 10 minutes away from giving it up. I'd sent something to the hospitality team a few weeks ago because it just weighed heavy on my heart that when you greet people, when you shake hands with people, when you smile at people walking in, you might be the one thing that keeps them from turning around and walking away forever because it matters the kind of environment that we create. And I want you to hear me. The kind of environment that Jesus creates is one that actually addresses the barrenness and the impossibility of our lives, not one that ignores it and whitewashes it, but one that addresses it very clearly. 
And so the barrenness that we read about, look at verse seven, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both of them were getting on in years. I wanna tell you there are three attacks that barrenness brings to us. There are three attacks. Some people are censoring me, they know to do that sometimes. First of all, the first attack of barrenness is what is not. Verse seven says they had no children. It says that they were it was, it was empty in the house. I think I'd reposted something from several years ago when my daughter and son were a little bit younger. I think it's when we first moved into the house that we live in now. There is an upstairs. And uh, so they, they were upstairs and they were, you know, doing whatever happens upstairs, yelling and screaming. And, and eventually there was some tears. I heard some tears from downstairs. And I, I'm almost certain I was probably watching football at the time. And I just I didn't want to deal with that. I wanted to watch Television, I was tired, because I'm always tired, so I'm not lying about that. But um, if you're a man, you understand that. If you're a woman, you understand that. At a certain age, you just stay tired, right? Any witness? Some of you guys work out, it's fine. You don't know what I'm talking about, the rest of us do. But I heard them, and, and, and I said, I'm not going up there. I'm not going to address that problem. And so I just crawled up there. I said, if either one of you are hurt, then both of you are in trouble. And like a magic wand I wielded, suddenly all was silent. But what happens when you're used to noise and things get quiet is that you get nervous. When our children were babies, I, I saw uh, just holding Adeline, I'm reminded when our children were babies, some of you have done this, when it just looks, when they're sleeping so deeply, babies sleep without all the guilt and stuff of conscience. So when they go to sleep, man, sometimes they are down and you think, is that kid still with us? And you have to kind of shake them. You don't want to shake them too hard because you don't want them to cry, but you want to make sure that they're okay. Like there's that deep sleep and that, that quiet will unnerve us. But, but what happens in Elizabeth and Zechariah's life is not just the quiet that comes after the noise. It's an unnatural silence that was never meant to be there. See, an attack of barrenness is when we start to think about and meditate on what is not. What do I not have that I thought I was supposed to have? What is it that God has promised me that I have not seen? Why is this happening? And that leads us to the second attack of barrenness. Not only was it what is not, but also why it's not. So that they did not have a child because Elizabeth was barren. This is an attack of limited potential. First is an attack of a natural silence. The second is an attack of limited potential. It says, why it's not. They knew that Elizabeth was barren. Somehow they knew and recognized that there was a barrenness in her womb, that she could not carry a child, that there was something going on physically with her that was keeping them in a place of lack, in a place of barrenness. And so this is difficult, right? So not only is there a what is not, not only is there re the reality of what we don't have, but then we have to face up to the reality that we're the problem. We're the, re we're the reason why we don't have what we don't have. She was barren. And the third attack of barrenness is what will never be. What is not, why it's not, and what will never be. In the last part of verse 7 in Luke chapter 1, it says, and they were both getting on in years. Don't raise your hand, but some of you know you feel that tension, right? You're getting on in years. I feel it. I was walking around praying last night in, in our sunroom off the back of the house and for no good reason at all my back just caught and I thought I, I didn't work out sure wasn't from exercise it's just from being 44 and I was reminded that I think 
the continual reminders of life as we get older. And I was talking with Anna Southern. She's not in here, but hopefully she doesn't mind me saying this. She was saying she was so tired. Anna's like 23 years old. And I said, I sure hope you have not reached the crest of that hill. I hope you've got a little farther to go up before you come to the downside of that hill. But, but there is a reality, right? When you, you sort of think maybe you've tipped over that top peak and you're on the way down and it feels like it's going faster as you're on the backside of that hill. It says they were getting on in years. So not only was there no child and not only does Elizabeth know she's barren, but now both Zechariah and Elizabeth understand that part of the barrenness, part of the reason that they are mourning, part of the reason that they are longing and do not have is because they have missed the window of opportunity. And I just want you to hear me. These are the attacks of the spirit of barrenness. When you look at your life and you think, I don't have what I thought I was supposed to have. And when you look at yourself and say, I'm the reason that I don't have what I thought I was supposed to have. And then when you look at your life and say, it's too late for me to have what I thought I was supposed to have. That's not God speaking to you. That's the spirit of barrenness trying to convince you of something that God would say is not true. Because here's the beauty, and I read this last night on on social media. Here's the beauty. There are six women who were barren in the scriptures that we read about. Six main women. You have Sarah, Rebecca, uh, um, uh, um, Rachel, uh, um, Hannah, who was... um, Uh, the the mother of Samuel. You also have Samson's mother, the wife of Manoah, and then you have Elizabeth. These six women are are really the poster, posters for what barrenness looks like in the scriptures. And I want you to hear me. All six of them, though they were barren, were made full. I want you to let that settle. Because what begins barren in your life will not continue barren in your life Because God is not a God who leaves barrenness as barren. And I'm not just talking about kids anymore. I'm talking about your hope and I'm talking about your destiny. I'm talking about your family. I'm talking about your relationships. I'm talking about the things that you have longed for and the things that you feel called to. I'm talking about your purpose. I'm talking about your ability to love. I'm talking about how you follow Jesus. Those places that you think, I don't have it, it's because of me and I'm never gonna have it. I want you to wipe those things out of your mind right now. God is not a God who leaves us stuck in barrenness. God is a God who might allow us to wait for a season, but God is a God of faithful promise. God is a God of hope, and God is a God of provision. He is not just the father of you and me. He's the father of all, and he brings something into our lives that will outlive us. I want you to hear this. Isaiah chapter 54. I love this. I found this last night looking through the scriptures again. The Bible says in Isaiah, sing, O barren one who did not bear. Burst into song and shout. You who have not been in labor. Look at this. He's saying before you've been in labor, before you've had the kid, it's time to rejoice. Why is that? For the children of the desolate woman will be more than the children of her that is married, says the Lord. God does not just say you're going to be full. God says that if you've walked through a season of barrenness in your life, then not only is he going to fill that place of barrenness, but he will expand it beyond those who didn't have to wait in the season of barrenness. Can I tell you something? When the field looks empty, God's bringing a harvest that is multiplied and exponential. When you've walked through a season of quiet and silence, God says, it's not because I'm limiting you, it's because I'm going to expand you. Some of you need the joy this morning that comes from knowing. I can sing in the middle of the night because I know the morning is going to overshadow every midnight that I've ever been through. This is not time for your sorrow to be proclaimed. It is time for rejoicing even before you've seen the promise because God is a provider who is good to his word and faithful. Amen? I can't preach any harder than that. You're going to have to come with me, okay? 
He says, enlarge the sight of your tent, Isaiah 54 continues. Let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back, but lengthen the cords and strengthen your stakes. Look what he's saying. He's saying the place where you're living is not adequate to the promises that I'm bringing. Oh, some of you have lost hope in Christmas season. I know, it's okay. I'm here to help you out with that this morning. He says, you need to start expanding the walls. You need to knock out some drywall and build an addition before you've ever got reason to set up a nursery because what I'm bringing into your household, what I'm bringing into your heart, what I'm bringing into your mind, the influence that I'm bringing into the sphere of your life is going to outdo your current setup. You don't have enough square footage for the blessings that God is bringing into your life, he says, if you have been barren in any way. He says, for you will spread out to the right, to the left, your descendants will possess the nations and they will settle the desolate towns. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Do not be discouraged, for you will not suffer disgrace. For you will forget the shame of your youth and the disgrace of your widowhood. You will remember no more, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. And now in verse 17 of Isaiah 54, he finishes, no weapon that is fashioned against you shall prosper, and you shall confute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me says the Lord. There are very few passages in Isaiah that are more beautiful than chapter 54's declaration to barrenness. And I'm just here to tell you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at, I just have two points, and we're gonna look and see how we live in a pathway so that joy can overcome barrenness. But I want you to hear me first before I get there. I wasn't gonna add all of this. This is all sort of relatively recent in my sermon preparation, but I was just going to skip to this thing of how we live. But I want you to know that God is actually a God who brings fullness into places of emptiness. There are friendships and relationships that you've given up on because you can't seem to get along. And God says where there seems to be emptiness, if you'll start rejoicing into that thing by faith, I can restore things that you thought were gone. The stress and the muddled nature of what you're going through financially, God says, just continue rejoicing. I'm still the provider, and in my timing, I will show you what you have not seen. But get ready for it, because when it comes, it's going to overwhelm the space that you have allotted for it. See, we see life so differently. We see life through the lenses of limitation. We see life through the, through the idea that we don't have the potential, or we don't, we've missed our chance, we've missed the possibility, or we just don't have what we think we need to have, and there's silence in our lives. But I'm here to tell you, God looks directly at what is not and why it's not and what we believe will never be and he says those are the curses of barrenness but I'm the God of fullness those are the curses of emptiness but I'm the God of provision I'm not a God who leaves you empty I'm a God who fills you in my timing and it will be in my timing and when it comes in my timing you will find out that the rejoicing you did before it showed up was not wasted but you were paving a pathway of grace in your life by actually rejoicing before you'd experience the grace that I had for you mm. Don't be so stubborn that you don't praise him for what you have not yet seen because you will miss out on a blessing that flows right into the fullness of what he's provided for you already. Now, let me move quickly. Verses 13 and 14, Gabriel comes to Zechariah. You see this scene, and I'll walk through this scene a little bit, but, but Zechariah is serving as priest before God. In verse eight, we read that. 
his section was on duty. And he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now, at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. I want to stop there because this is weighed on me. I didn't write it down in my notes, but I'm just going to give you this for free. When somebody goes into a place where they're going to meet with God, it matters that the rest of us are rooting them on and praying intercession over them. I want you to see this. Luke intentionally includes this little fact that seems to have nothing to do with Zechariah's story, except I think it has everything to do with the story because nobody walks into the presence of God alone. We are supposed to lift them up, pray over their lives, intercede for them, mourn with them, laugh with them, weep with them, shout with them, rejoice with them, because in that kind of context, God can speak. We are not called to be competitors. We're called to be intercessors. Joy can overwhelm barrenness when we wait in the right way. That's point one. There's only two. Don't get nervous. Joy can overwhelm barrenness when we wait in the right way. The angel shows up and he says in verse 13, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will name him John. Now look at what it says. You will have joy and gladness. And not only that, but many will rejoice at his birth. And now I want you to look back at at verse 5, or or, or verse 6 and 7, excuse me. It says, both Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous before God, and they were living blamelessly according to the commandments and regulations. I believe Luke is very intentional here as he tells us this. Do not confuse the divine timing of God with the wrath of God in your life. I want you to hear that. Just because you have not seen what God promised he was going to bring does not mean that you've done something wrong and offended him and he's holding it over your head as punishment. Some of us are tempted in seasons when we don't have what we think we need to look around and think, God, what sin is in my life? God, what have I done wrong? Why is it that you're not doing the things that I think you're supposed to be doing? What is it about my life right now that is offending you, that is keeping you from blessing me in the way that I believe that you have promised to bless me? But Luke is very clear. They were blameless and they were righteous. Now, Zechariah's a doubter, certainly, but he was blameless and he was righteous. They weren't sinning. They weren't doing things wrong. They were trying to be faithful. It says that the Lord heard their prayer, so they were still interceding, still lifting up their requests to God. They were not in the wrong but God's providential timing was not ready. G. Campbell Morgan said this, what we do in the crisis of our life always depends on whether we see the difficulties of our life in the light of God or whether we see God in the shadow of the difficulties. How we respond to the difficulties, how we respond to the barren places, how we respond to the emptiness, how we respond to the things that we believe that we need to have, supposed to have, that God's promised us but we have not yet seen. How we respond to those things comes down to whether we see our problems in the light of God or we see God in the shadow of our problems. What lens are you looking through? Zechariah and Elizabeth chose to be righteous even in a place of barrenness. And so sometimes your barrenness isn't about your righteousness, it's about God's providence. It was not their behavior that created this barrenness. I want you to hear this. This is powerful, I believe. It was actually God's blessing to them that allowed them to walk through a season of waiting. 
Now, let me explain that. This is the crux of this point. If you look at what the angel Gabriel says to Zechariah in that place about John, he says basically that he is not going to be like other children. I want you to raise him uniquely. Don't cut his hair. Don't let him drink alcohol. He's going to live a separated life. And the reason for that is because he has a unique calling and a unique purpose. John, remember, he just said that in verse 14. said, John is not just showing up so that you can have joy and gladness, but so that many will rejoice. Why are many going to rejoice? He said he's going to turn the hearts of fathers and sons back together. He said he's going to walk in the power and the might and the calling and the anointing of Elijah, Israel's greatest prophet. See, Gabriel's not just coming to say that you're having a baby. He's coming to say you're having a promise. You have been given something that God has been waiting to give you. Now, what happens? What happens? Now, certainly they've been praying for this. He says, God has heard your prayer. What happens if they get it when they pray for it the first time? Hear me closely now. This is going to frustrate you, but I believe it's a truth that you can build things on. If God had given them John 30 years ago when they first started praying for a baby, when they realized Elizabeth was barren, if God had given him three decades before, he does not have the right timing to be the forerunner for the Christ. He does not get to live out the purpose of his life to bring the fathers and sons' hearts back together. He does not walk in the power and the anointing and the calling of Elijah. He does not get to fulfill the beauty and the purpose and the joy and the gladness that he was designed to fulfill. See, sometimes God is saying, wait, not because he's angry with you, but because he has a bigger purpose in mind than you have for yourself. Come on. Some of us will settle for things that we want when God's saying, just wait, because what I've got for you trumps everything else that you thought you wanted. I'm smarter than you, God says. My thoughts are above your thoughts. My ways are above your ways. Oh, Max Lucado, in one of his books, had said his little daughter, I think it was Andrea, when she was six, she had looked at him and said, I, I-, I like your job. You're a preacher, Daddy, and I'm proud of you for being a preacher. He said, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And then she said these words, devastating words for any father. She said, but I kind of wish that you were the snow cone man. He kind of looked better. It's like, what? And she said, yeah, I wish you drove that ice cream truck where we get snow cones. And he said, you know what? To a six-year-old, that makes perfect sense. Is there any better job than driving the ice cream truck? You get to listen to fun music. You get to interact with kids all day. You make them happy. You're sitting on a whole load of ice cream? Like, what's better than that? That's utopia. That's Eden. That's what Adam and Eve left, right? And he said he smiled, and he acknowledged that what she thought made sense to her. He said, but my calling from God was greater than what she wanted for my life because she's six, and I know more than her. Can I tell you something? Sometimes God is making us wait and walk through seasons we don't want to walk through because he knows more than us. Because he knows that we'll settle for something less than what he actually has for us. And instead of letting us do that kind of damage to our calling and purpose, God says, I'm going to make you wait, even if it means there's some tears, even if it means there's some late nights, even if it means there's some three in the morning prayer sessions with tears all over the pages of your Bible, trying to quote scripture after quip scripture, trying to manipulate the Father into giving you what you want. Some of you have walked through hard times, physical seasons where you were in pain, difficult family times where your children didn't do the things that you knew they were 
supposed to do. Some of you walked through job, uh, job difficulties and intrigue where you didn't know where paychecks were going to come from. How are the bills going to get paid? And God says, I have not abandoned you in those moments. I'm not looking at your failures and saying I'm not giving you what you need. I just have a greater meaning and calling and purpose for you. Maybe I'm making you wait because what I have for you supersedes and trumps everything that you've been asking for. And if you'll just wait a few more moments, what I'm bringing into your life is actually greater than what you asked for. What you're waiting for is not God's ear to open to your prayers. It's actually God's wisdom to be displayed in his timing. I want to say that again. You are not waiting for God to hear your prayers. Gabriel the angel says, he has heard your prayer. You can underline it, highlight it, circle it in verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. The Bible says God heard you. He was not deaf to you. He knows what you said. He was just waiting because he knew the timing that he had for you was perfect, whereas your timing was uninformed. I want you to hear me. There is joy when you start to realize that the difficulty you're walking through, listen, it's no less difficult, but even Jesus, when he's staring at the cross, Hebrews tells us, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It says when he knew what was coming, he could deal with the hard thing that was in front of him. But listen, some of us just want what we want. We want relief in the moment. And God says, I'll be with you by the power of my spirit. I will sustain you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. I will be the walls surrounding you. But I'm going to make you wait because what I want for you will always supersede what you want for yourself. Now, can you trust me? Can you wait in the right way? Second, joy can overwhelm barrenness when we wait in the right way. And second, joy can overwhelm barrenness when we listen to God's side of the story. When we listen to God's side of the story. So look, look, look at the text again. Then there appeared to him, verse 11, an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. I want you to see this. This means that there was something imposing about this being. Either the way he entered or the way he was. Okay? Something about this angelic creature struck fear at the core of who Zechariah was. And so Zechariah... (laughs) Then, with this enormous, intimidating figure in front of him, talking to him, does one of the most us things in the entire Bible. Listen to me. I want you to, you might might want to write this down. Zechariah is me, and I am Zechariah. Because Zechariah stares at this huge being and says, I don't know if I believe you. How often are we in the process of being blessed and still we're questioning God's faithfulness because we've gotten so used to not getting our hopes up? Zechariah is literally in the middle of a moment when God is answering his prayers 
the prayers of the years that he and Elizabeth have offered up. God is literally gracing his life with the purpose that they've been longing for. And Zechariah looks at him and says, I don't know. You know, I know you're a big angel and all, but how do I know what you're telling me is the truth? How many of of us have moaned and groaned? I'm guilty of it. How many of us have moaned and groaned about the things that we keep praying for when we're literally being orbited by the blessings of God every day of our life? When he's kept us, when he's saved us, when we can look back five years ago and realize what he's brought us out of and where he's brought us to. And yet in those moments, we look around and say, God, I don't know why you haven't showed up. And God said, why don't you just look at your track record? So Christ says, I don't know. I don't know if I can believe you. And so Gabriel says, listen, <laughs> look, at, look at verse 19. Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Do you see what he's saying? I'm gonna paraphrase this. He says, hey, I didn't get this word secondhand, bruh. <laughs> like, like, I didn't read this on some Sanskrit. Like, I, I didn't, I wasn't in a cave somewhere and I saw something scrawled out, Zechariah and Elizabeth gonna have a baby and I came to tell you. He said, I stand in the very presence of the creator of the entire universe. I heard his voice with my own ears or whatever angels have for listening devices on the side of their being. I don't know what they look like. So I'm just, I'm just gonna say ears because that's all I know how to talk about. He says, with my own ears, I heard the father himself say, this is what's going to happen. Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know the couple and Gabriel says yeah I know who they are you know them they're the barren ones they're the older ones they're the ones who don't have anything else they're the ones who are dealing with what is not and why it's not and what will never be I'm going to give them a child now I'm promising them a baby and I'm delivering on the baby and so I'm going to give them what they've been longing for because my timing has come to its fullness and Gabriel comes down and tells Zechariah I heard it from his throne room that you're going to have a baby and Zechariah says I don't know about that and he looks at him and says all right well you don't get to talk for nine months there are two explanations perhaps this is an early baby shower gift to Elizabeth So she didn't have to listen to him moaning and groaning about putting a crib together while she was legit struggling with morning sickness. Or maybe Zechariah is rendered mute because he was struggling to believe the word that he'd heard from God. I just want to tell you this. I could go into this deeper, but I'm just going to give you this and I'm going to move on. Sometimes God will silence our voice so we can learn to hear his more clearly. Sometimes God will put us in a place where we don't have to talk so much. And that's not because he doesn't want us to live out our calling or purpose. It's because he knows that what he's told us we have not received yet. And it's more important that we receive his word to us than we proclaim some other word on our own. So so you'll be mute. You can't believe this? That's okay. You just won't talk for a while. And not until you have to name the child will you be able to speak again. Hmm. And... Nonsuit, would you please? You know what time it is. I've lost track of time. But that's nothing new, is it? I think we have to resist the urge to dampen 
the message of good news because of our own doubts. Can I tell you something? As a pastor, people ask me questions sometimes that I don't really have the answers to. Things about their life, personal things sometimes. They're struggling with this, they're doubting with that, they don't know exactly what to do with their life, they're not sure the direction, you know, what, what does this look like? These are questions that I get uh, somewhat frequently, and that's okay, it's part of my job, I understand that. But, but can I tell you, a lot of times what I'll tell them is just what the scriptures say, because I figure I can rely on that. But, but when I say some of those things, sometimes the way I understand the way the Bible reads, sometimes it just sounds like I'm telling them everything's going to be okay. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it's going to be okay. And what would be easier, can I just tell you? And I used to do this more than I do it now. Anymore, I'm just, maybe you get old enough that you stop kind of caring about whether you're right or wrong and you just sort of say the things that you believe you're supposed to say. And and so I do care if I'm right or wrong, but, but you understand what I'm saying. I'm not here to try to make excuses for God. I'm not here to try to dampen the promises that God has given us. I can't necessarily explain why what he said has not happened yet, but I'm also not here to try to change what he said so that it matches what I see. See, part of walking by faith means that I'll believe what he says is true long before I've seen it, and so I'm not going to try to tame the message of the gospel just because it doesn't always look like it's taken root in the way that the Bible says it does. That's not my job. It's not your job. It's not your job to look at a God who says, I am Jehovah Jireh, I am your provider, and when you don't have provision to think, maybe I need to redefine the text. We have enough of that in our world without going in depth on things. We have more than enough people who are redefining the scriptures to fit the life that we see instead of allowing the scriptures to define the world that we live in. I'm not here to tell you that it's going to be easy, but I'm here to tell you that when barren things crop up, God fills them. And, and I realize, can I just tell you, I want to be sensitive to those of you. I know that there are families who have dealt with infertility. I know that that's something that some of you have walked through, struggled through. I'm not here to make light of that. I'm not here to look at you and say, oh no, everything's going to be fine. What I'm here to tell you is, is I don't understand all of it necessarily in terms of timing, but I do trust that God is still a God who fills up empty things and who brings purpose into places where there was purposelessness, who brings joy into places of sorrow, and who brings hope into places of hopelessness. I can't tell you why the timing is the time. I can't tell you why you've cried a thousand tears. I can't tell you why doctor's visits don't make sense. What I can tell you is this, is that God, who is faithful, has told you that barren things will give birth to things that are fruitful. He says that things that are called empty will be made full. And I don't understand how all that works, but I'm not here to try to file down the claws of the Lion of Judah so that it feels better when it touches us. I'm here to tell you that if the truth of God is the truth of God, I'm going to tell you that and we're going to walk out what that looks like together. See, Zechariah is trying to say, I don't know what it means. Can it really be? He didn't want to get his hopes up. But man, I think it's time that Christians, if no one else will, It's time that Christians start getting their hopes up. In a world filled with brokenness, it's time that we started getting our hopes up. It's time that we started saying, yeah, things look bad, but I know God's still good. It's time we started saying, there's a lot of bad news surrounding me, but I still believe in the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Yeah, my body hurts, but I still know that every stripe laid upon the back of Jesus Christ has been provided for my healing. Yes, my mind is in chaos, but I believe the crown of thorns laid upon his head purchased peace for me. Yes, things are difficult, but I know a God who makes ways where there are no ways. Yes, relationships are broken, but I know one who brings the one that is far off and the one that is near together in the body of Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross. I'm not telling you I understand all of the X's and O's, but I'm telling you I understand that the end is going to be better than the moment because the God of promise and provision is always faithful to his word. Would you stand? I'm going to finish. And here, here's this beautiful thing that takes place. Zechariah says, how am I going to know this is so? How is it going to happen? I don't know that I can believe it. And Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God. But look at what Zechariah says to the angel. How will I know this is so? What? For I'm an old man and my wife is getting on in years. See, Zechariah brings excuses and tries to convince Gabriel that what he's saying is not true. But here's the beauty of what Gabriel has. And I told you this a few minutes ago, and this is beautiful to me. And, and this is the same thing that God's word does and that God does. See, I, I do think that we have our excuses. I think we know our limitations. We know what is not, we know why it's not, and we believe we know what will never be. But here, here's the thing. Gabriel says, I, I see you, I hear you, I know that you're old. I know that you think you're past time. I know Elizabeth is barren. I know things are difficult. I've heard your side of the story. But I've also heard another side of the story. See, I also heard God tell me that your age and her barrenness and your situation were not enough to overwhelm the promise of God to your life. See, when you've heard both sides of the story, it's not that you, <laughs> if you've heard God's side of the story, your side of the story just doesn't sound quite as convincing. Can I put it that way? We're old. We stopped praying for that years ago. Okay, that's your side of the story. But let me tell you what God says. He says, trade in your CPAP machine for a baby monitor. Does that get where you live? Does that, does that hit a little closer to home? See, God's side of the story is always based on the promise and provision of the one who sees farther than we see. Our side of the story is limited to what we see, feel, and, and can believe for. But God's side of the story is not limited in the same way that our side of the story is limited. See, a spirit of barrenness limits our perspective by saying what I'm capable of is all that can happen. But God's side of the story is not really all that concerned with what you are or not capable of. It's only concerned with his ability to move in ways that are supernatural miraculous mm. joy in this season will not come from hearing your side of the story joy in this season will only come when you listen to what he has said what the good news of the gospel is when he says behold I'm making all things new take it to the bank you don't know the timing you don't understand how it's gonna work that's no big deal what he says will always come to pass you can trust the word of your father So Elizabeth's story is different than Mary's story. And I think Luke intentionally starts with Elizabeth's story because there's only one Mary. There's only one virgin birth. 
But there's a ton of barren wombs that need to be filled by the promises of God. And what Luke does is he says, not only is this a story about a king who's come from heaven, but it's the story of everybody else too. Because that king's arrival is creating a groundswell of energy and beauty that creates fullness in places that we thought were going to be empty forever. possible with God. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, please.